Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast. Brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today's podcast is we have a chat with a worker from Talmadge who spoke up in favor of the community giving its employees a bonus for being vaccinated. She shares her story of soldiering on amid the pandemic and the anxiety that it caused. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. I don't need to tell you that it snowed. Depending on where you live, you saw as little as a few inches of snow to as much as 19 inches in northern Summit County. Our reporters were all over this snowstorm that started Sunday night and into Martin Luther King Day, and we had all the implications that included school closings and also some streets that have yet to be plowed. Our education reporter, Jennifer Pinole, took a look at why the Akron superintendent has not hired an assistant superintendent position that she asked for back when she was hired back in July. Some six months have passed, and the superintendent says she just hasn't quite found the right candidate due to a variety of combinations, bad timing with administrative contract cycles, and a slew of other priorities as she tries to manage students returning in the fall and the COVID cases still raging. And finally, in a subscriber-exclusive content, reporters Doug Livingston and Amanda Garrett took a look at the puzzling case of 90,000 missing people. Well, those are 90,000 workers who have left the workforce in Northeast Ohio since the beginning of the pandemic. We all know the results, long lines, restaurants closing early and not even opening on some days. They took a look at just where these workers went and when we can expect things to get back to normal, if they ever will. BeaconJournal.com and all of our various apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content that you simply can't find anywhere else. Well, we continue our conversation with COVID-related things that you think of and, and a few things that, that you, you can't imagine. And um, we're joined by Krista Cano, one of our Beacon Journal reporters, and along with Kelly Funk, who is Administrative Assistant in Talmadge, and kind of the interesting issues of what's happening in the cemeteries there and, and, and kind of re- related to uh, to COVID. And Krista, you, you just recently uh, wrote an article about this. Uh, no, I'm going to be not yet. Oh boy, well, I'm <laughs> jumping the gun here. Well, don't don't tell our competition. You know, maybe we are the competition. <laughs> yeah, so we are talking to Kelly Funk today, who's um, an administrative assistant with the city of Talmadge. She works um, in the 
planning department, but she's also in the cemetery department. Um, and Kelly spoke to Talmadge City Council um, this past Thursday to share some of her experiences that she had in a conversation um, about the uh, Talmadge mayor's proposal to implement a uh, vaccine incentive program. Council's not really interested in it, so um, Kelly wanted to lend her voice to why she thought some sort of incentive or bonus for employees would be warranted. Um, so I asked Kelly to join us today to talk more about what her experiences were early in the pandemic and how um, how her work affected her personal life and some of the things that she had to deal with. So thanks for being with us, Kelly. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, so to start, why don't you just tell us um, kind of what March of 2019 um, looked like for you um, when Ohio shut down and you got sent home from work? Um. So obviously we heard about, you know, the um, COVID-19 before we obviously shut down and, you know, we were all wondering what would happen and it ended up they shut us down, sent us home, you know, without a return date. We had no idea what was going to happen like the rest of the world. Um, and then about two weeks after, well, it was about a week and a half after they sent us home, I got a call from um, my boss saying, hey, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to figure out some schedule to get you back in here because, you know, like you said, I'm, I do the um, planning zoning as well as cemetery. And there were still people, you know, passing away, needing to be buried. There were still contractors trying to do work. Um, You know, these contractors, because then they tell you not to be within six feet of somebody. These contractors work by themselves. So they're saying, you know, I'm putting up a fence by myself. I need to come in you know, get permits, whatever. So it ended up um, I switched on and off with another girl that is in the office right next to me, and we um, came in one week at a time. So I'd come in a week, she'd come in the next week, and we did that for about three weeks, and then we ended up just coming back full time because it just we just couldn't do it. But we were not open to the public at that time. So it was just um, me doing work over the computer we did meet people at the door if we needed to, um, you know, if they had to drop paper off because a lot of contractors as well and um, even funeral homes, they didn't use the Internet for things. They dropped everything off paper. So that was about, um, yeah, that's about it until we opened July 1st to the public. And what were your feelings about returning to work in July? I mean, a lot of places were still closed. Yeah, I... Like I said um, in my statement last week, we at that time, my family at least, we were not, we had not seen my family in since March. Um, we are people, we're family people. We get together every single Sunday. We go to church and then we get to go to my mom's every Sunday. There's about 18 of us on a good day. Um, my sisters and their families. And of course, when March came, we just stopped. We hadn't seen each other forever. I had not been into a store. I hadn't been into a gas station. I had not been into public at all. So then July 1st, of course, we're opening. I'm like, okay, here we go. So, you know, we open. And we don't open for the whole day. We try to tell people to make an appointment, um, you know, if you have to come in. But um, I was, I mean, I was really scared because, of course, 
all we heard back then was about how all these people are dying and people are getting sick and dying. And there's, you know, it's just this horrible, awful disease. And that's all we heard. And that's literally everything we heard about everywhere. So it was pretty scary to, you know, know that people, the public were going to be back into the building. People that we had no idea where they'd been and who they'd been around. And how did that affect um, your own immediate family? You talked a little bit about your your family situation at the meeting with your young child and an immunocompromised husband. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we were obviously scared. We I I made sure when people would come in, I would you know mask up. I sometimes wear two masks um, because you know I was scared. My daughter has heart problems. We have since then found out that they have resolved themselves. So luckily she, you know, those heart issues that were, um, you know, that we were scared of then are gone, but my husband's immunocompromised. So we're just, you know, it was just scary. It was just a scary time. We, because we all of a sudden were not, um, or we are seeing the public again, we stopped seeing our family. We did see our family again um, a couple times because everyone stopped going everywhere. You know, like I, didn't see anybody in public. My sisters weren't. So we got to see each other. But once I started, you know, we opened to the public, we had to stop seeing everyone again because everyone else in my family w- was working from home. Um, so they didn't go anywhere. So they're, you know, they weren't scared to get COVID. Whereas I, you know, we were open to the public and the public came. I mean, you, you know, it's, you would think that they wouldn't flock in, but they were, they were happy because like you said, we were, some of the only people open. A lot of people stayed closed. What were um, some of the circumstances that people were coming in for? I mean, was it still contractors on the planning side? What it, kind of projects was, were people doing? Yeah, it was everybody. I mean, contractors were still coming in, um, not as much as before because they did just like we did, kind of adapt. They started emailing applications and paying over the phone that kind of thing. Um, but we did have a lot of cemetery, of course, because, you know, more people are passing away. Um, but some so families would come in. Um, some families, when they pick out a cemetery space, they don't really care where it is. So they can, you know, they would call and maybe send, we just require a driver's license when you purchase a cemetery space. So they would just email us that driver's license, do everything over the phone. Um, but some families do like to come in. They like to, um, you know, look what their cemetery spaces are. They like to do everything in person. Um, so we did have, you know, people coming in to buy cemetery spaces. People, we had a lot of people come in to discuss cemetery spaces because, of course, this, you know, kind of scared people and people wanted to start pre-planning. It just kind of got that thought in their head that, hey, maybe I should, you know, pre-plan um, just in case something happens. And then, of course, we still had, you know, contractors coming in to put in fences and decks. And I will tell you, pools was a big one because, of course, Maca Pool um, in Talmadge closed. Um, and then the next summer, they actually limited who they would let in or how many people were allowed to purchase the um, passes. So pools have been absolutely crazy in the past two years. Um, people getting pool permits and getting pools in their backyard so they can still swim during the summer safely. Did the city require people wear masks when they came in or was it encouraged or suggested or? So they did. Um, at first we required them. Um, they were at f- so at first when we did open the public, they tried to keep people upstairs, 
when you go into City Hall, the main entrance is um, the top floor, and then we work on the bottom floor. We call ourselves the cellar dwellers <laughs> because we're down in the, you know, in the basement. Um, so they shut the basement doors. No one was allowed to come in the basement because before COVID, people just came in and they could wander around. They could go wherever they wanted in City Hall. We didn't have a receptionist. You know, nothing. So um, when this hit, we got a receptionist. They would stop them at the door. And if they could, they would require them to stay upstairs. Now, the cemetery, as for the cemetery, she would always send them down because cemetery is obviously a touchy thing. Um, and they didn't want they didn't want them upstairs where everyone can hear. Um, and, you know, of course, people come in upset and crying. And it's just they want that more in privacy. So she would send them down. Uh, but people did have to wear masks at first. Now, once COVID, the peak kind of went down and, you know, over the summer, was it last summer when we weren't really having that many cases and things, they got rid of that mask mandate. And then since then, um, it's very highly suggested now to wear masks. People, I mean, there are some people that argue against it and she tries to keep them upstairs, but um, we do highly recommend they wear masks. So some folks aren't wearing masks is what I'm, I'm asking. They, if they come down um, to my office, at least, she won't send them to my office for a while there. I was pregnant for, I just had a baby 10 weeks ago. So for, you know, that whole, whole last year for nine months, I was pregnant. And of course, COVID in pregnant women was just crazy. So she would keep anyone who refused to wear a mask, she would keep them upstairs no matter what they were there for. Um, because I asked her not to send anybody without a mask down because I, I mean, I don't want, you know, my office is my workspace. I don't have an office, but the workspace is not that big. So you can't stand that far apart. So, um, if we did have a few people refuse to wear a mask, so I'd go upstairs, stand about 10 feet from them and just do the business upstairs. But for the most part, people wear masks when they're asked to. Uh, some of the people that are coming to um, to you for cemetery reasons, are some of them there because their loved ones have died of COVID? Yes, we've had a few um, come in. They're a family member has passed away from COVID, um, you know, and they're obviously doing all the arrangements and everything. Um, for the most part, they're, they come in after the whole family, whoever, it's been, you know, a couple weeks later. I know I mentioned in my um, statement last week, we did have one family come in, their um, loved one. This is the one that really scared me because it was, it was when COVID first really hit. It was really around when we first opened to the public. Um, we were only allowing two people down at a time. Now, the family member had passed away from COVID, so they did allow, I don't know how, I don't remember how many of them there were, maybe four or five. Um, we allowed them all to come down. Well, while I was down there, I found out that she had passed away from COVID just a couple of days before they were in there, and they were with her during that time. Um, and, you know, they had all said they already had it in the weeks before that, so they couldn't have it again. But, of course, that really scared me because, you know, I'm thinking, well, I mean, we're taking their word for it that they had it, and they're in my office. Now, they all have masks on, of course, but it just – that was the scariest one was – you know, people come in a couple of days after they were just in a room with someone with COVID and now they're in a room with me and, you know, standing like three feet from me. So that was a, that was a really scary one for me. And that was obviously before vaccines and, and 
Yes, that was and for vaccines. Yes, yeah, that was back in like so probably maybe August of last year, some sometime in the summer, um, or I'm sorry, twenty twenty twenty, when we first opened back up. Um, yeah, they there weren't any at home tests or uh, no vaccines or anything at that time. Do people typically disclose to you if if the person has died of COVID? No, I get um, afterwards. I do get the um, what we call it's called a burial transit permit. It's something that we require um, in order to bury a person, whether they're being um, buried in a casket or in you know cremains. We do require that, and there are some times where they'll put it'll be on there the, the um, you know the reason of death, and sometimes it is COVID. So I I'll know at that point, but that's usually after we've seen the family and we've scheduled the burial and everything. Um, but sometimes that's also left blank. So it depends on how um, open the family is. Some families will, you know, tell me what happened. Some families don't. So it just really depends on the family. Do you feel like it's people's um, habits as they relate to cemeteries have gone reverted to what they are before? I mean, you mentioned that early on people were really getting into early planning. Do you feel like that's still the trend or has it gone back? I think it's I think it's absolutely gone back. Yeah, we haven't had many people in, I would say, in the past months that are planning for anything anymore like they did when, you know, COVID first hit. Well, that's what I was curious about. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm no expert, but you've know, been at the Beacon for 22 years, but I, we've never had so many obits as we had in the, you know, in the Sunday paper. I think we 16 or was it eight? I mean, pages. I mean, it was like some crazy number. And I it, you just think, well, I mean, wow. obviously – uh, something's happening. Uh, you know, did, have you noticed that maybe it's not co-related, but I mean, are there more demands for, for plots? Or does it seem like we're on a crest of a wave or, or, or is it kind of flattened? So I was looking at the numbers. Um, we actually did our, of course, we did our end of the year reports and everything. And I believe that we have, we haven't, we didn't really sell many more plots in the past two years than we did in the years before. Um, maybe a few more and we buried about the same amount of people. The only thing with, um, that being the cemetery is we don't see, I believe a lot of people are, um, having their loved ones cremated. And then at least when at the beginning of COVID, they would wait, they would keep the cremations and then they would wait, you know, for, they were hoping for COVID to be done, but obviously there's no end in sight that we see. Um, to do a service. So, you know, they, it's not like before COVID people would cremate their loved ones the next weekend, they would do a service and bury them. But we're finding that a lot of people are holding on to them that, you know, so that family members can come in from out of town. And I think they were, you know, kind of waiting for COVID to maybe not end, but at least go back down. So, Kelly, how did you hear about the vaccination incentive program that Mayor Klein had proposed to council? So, um, of course, everything is public, you know, with council and everything. So we actually get um, council sends out the agendas for the meetings to um, all the departments. So I get their I get their agendas every two weeks. And I've actually never opened it because I don't have anything to do with council. Um, I do the boards and commissions, um, but I don't have anything to do with council. But it, it was actually kind of weird. Last week, I happened to get this agenda 
it was at like 3.50 on a, a Wednesday, the Wednesday before the meeting. And I just, for some reason, open it and start looking through it. And I see that. And I said, I had never even heard of this. I, I, you know, I had never heard it. Um, so then that's when I started reading the minutes from last time and what they had said about, you know, wanting to reject it and everything. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was actually just by chance. I had nothing to do my last 10 minutes of work. I was kind of just closing up and everything. And I just happened to open it and saw it there. Just for the listeners, this incentive program, um, would have given, um, would have reserved $200,000 of the city's $1.8 million that they uh, will be receiving in total from the American Rescue Plan. Um, so $200,000 of that was going to be reserved for this program, or at least that's what the mayor had asked. Um, the way it worked would have been um, city employees who are on the city health care would have received $1,000 one-time bonus for being fully vaccinated, plus $100 for each of their dependents or spouses um, who are fully vaccinated. Uh, Part-timers um, and basically anyone else could have gotten a $500 bonus, and it was modeled after Grove City. Uh, Grove City did it about a year ago, and they saw a 10% increase in vaccinations, according to uh, Talmadge's, um, a Talmadge City official. Kelly, what were your thoughts on the incentive program um, as someone who was already vaccinated? Um, so, like I said, I mean, I, of course, I want the money. <laughs> you know, it's um, been a hard couple of years, so um, $1,000 could really help. I personally didn't think it should have been just because, you know, for people that are vaccinated. Um, I know some people there that are not vaccinated that have worked incredibly hard over the past couple years. You know, like I said, some of the departments really had to adapt to, um, you know, we went totally uh, virtual for our boards and commissions meetings. So the IT guys had to work like crazy. And so there's a, a lot of people in the city that really had to adapt and work like overtime in the past couple of years. And not all of them I know are not vaccinated. And I just thought that, um, as much as it'd be nice, because, of course, I am vaccinated. Most people I know are. Some are not. And I would love for them to be because I work closely with some of them. Um, but it, it is their choice to not get vaccinated. But I really think that the people that work so hard should also receive, you know, something, even though they're not vaccinated, which is why I got up and spoke. And it seemed like council heard you. I mean, they they voted down the incentive program, but they said that they were definitely open to um, hazard pay as a one time bonus just for working through the pandemic. What did you think of that? That was nice to hear. I've never been to a council meeting before, so I wasn't sure how it was going to go. Once I, you know, told a couple of people that I was going to speak, you know, like during that that work day, they're like, yeah, I mean, you can do it, but it's it's dead in the water. Like it's not they're not going to pass anything, you know. So I said, you know what, I'm I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to get up there. I already wrote my little spiel. I'm still going to get up there and, you know, just speak on it. Um, so when, you know, they after I spoke and when they started talking about how, you know, they wouldn't mind giving the bonus, they, they would prefer it, but not tied to a vaccine. So that kind of, I, it kind of made me, made me feel good that at least they heard me because I, I really think if, um, 
if the couple people, of course, is me and there's a couple of other people that spoke. I feel like if we did not show up and speak, I think it would have just been done. I think they would have rejected it and that would be that. So I really think they listened and they, you know, it got them thinking at least about, you know, maybe a different path that they could take. Well, I think it's also a real person and a real story. I mean, you're, you're working in the proverbial basement. Yeah, I mean, you know, anecdotally, but you know, that, that sometimes, <laughs> you know, just to hear your story, you know, just kind of the reality of anxiety. I mean, you know, I mean, there was a lot of anxiety early on and, and, you know, we as reporters, you know, we were still working too, you know, and, and going yeah, out. Yeah. And so, you know, not that, you know, I don't praise us at all. Probably no one will, but, but, you know, but, but there were, you know, that was part of, you know, and, and reality is the cemetery didn't close. I mean, you know, and, and people, mm-hmm. in fact, I did one of the stories. It was a building boom for remodeling, you know, because people were home and yep. realizing my house is pretty crappy, yep. you know, now that this is my home <laughs> office, you know, and so you probably, yep. you know, you, you, you couldn't just not work. I mean, you know, they, they, they had building permits and process and, and, and things, and and it just is probably was good for counsel to hear from a real employee. I mean, you know, that, that, yep. that just to hear that story. I, I think so. And I, I think also, I just don't think they thought about it. I really think that um, it, it was just, it, you know, it's just something that you, they don't really think about. They thought, you know, it's, well, but they're back there, whatever. But I don't really think they thought about how everything had to change. Not not all the departments had to change. You know, a lot of departments don't see the public. Um, so, But ours was a very big one. So that's why when I got up there, I said, you know, it's, I can't speak for every department. I'm speaking only for ours, but it was just, I think just, they just have never really thought about it, about how much it had to change. And like you said, the anxiety that they all have jobs too. And I said, I even said in my, you know, statement, obviously we are not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not, you know, public healthcare workers that are in the front lines. You know, we don't have that kind of anxiety because they're out there working with, you know, 100% sure they are COVID cases and they're out there working with them. But um, it's still, we have our own little anxiety about, you know, seeing people that we don't know, that we don't know where they've been and who they've been around. And so I, I, I do think it just helped them to, to, to understand. Well, I think we're, Appreciate you sharing your story. And, and, you know, you may not think you're frontline, but you are frontline. I mean, and the reality is, you know, yep. you have played a role for those parents, for, you know, people, grieving people to be able to bury their loved ones and also, you know, to build addition on the deck and all those new pools. So, mm-hmm. so Kelly, I thank you. And, and Chris, thank you once again. It's great to hear these real people, real stories and, and, you know, how the pandemic has really, you know, impacted us all. Um, I would like to just add one thing just to wrap up um, what Talmadge is doing. When the incentive was initially proposed back in November, the usage rules on the American Rescue Plan funds were pretty strict. They have since relaxed. Um, the finance director, Molly Gilbride, um, is still reviewing that final ruling to see if a one-time cash incentive bonus or excuse me, one-time cash bonus is permissible. Um, and she said now there is potential. But when this was presented, that potential did not exist. Um, so she will be meeting soon with the mayor and with the uh, chair of the finance committee to see if this is a possibility. So we have a cliffhanger. We do. Stay tuned. <laughs> we may have another one to, to do. So thank you both so much. Thank you for having me. That's all we have today. 
For the Now You Know Akron podcast, be sure to join us again next week. Episodes will be released every Wednesday or thereabout wherever you download your favorite podcast. They're also available on BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. Before we go, we have to thank our producer, BJ Lisko. Without him, well, you know the routine. It wouldn't be possible. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, well, you have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.